Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 288, and I had a conversation with Roby Sobieski. He is a world-traveling magician. He has a residency here in Los Angeles at a place called the Black Rabbit Rose. He has been a consultant on two international tours for David Blaine. He was also the sleight-of-hand consultant for the Birds of Prey Harley Quinn film. He and I talked about books and history and magic, of course, uh, science and psychology, woo-woo things, and everything in between, including his travels to distant shores. I think you're going to enjoy this one. It's It's a real fun ride. In other news, you can find Hey Human Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can find my personal social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, under Susan Ruthism. Email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. Visit heyhumanpodcast.com and find the links page. Every episode has a correlating pile of links there on the links page. Roby's is no different, and I try to curate lots of information for you so you don't have to do any of the work. You just go there and do your deep dives with the links provided. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are wanting to sign up on the mailing list, go to susanruth.com. I send out very few mailers over the course of a year, so you will not be inundated, I promise. While you're on susanruth.com, you can also learn more about me and what I do outside of the podcast, art and music and film things. And if you're into music, you can find me on Spotify, Amazon, Tunes, uh, Apple, all all the places. So definitely check that out. Okay, that's the business stuff out of the way. Thank you for listening. Be well, take care, be kind, and uh, thank you for listening. Here we go. Roby Sobieski, how are you? I'm Wel- doing well. I'm Welcome doing... to Hey Human. Uh, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's, I don't know, have you described this space ever before in any of your podcasts? I think people comment on the books, but... Not so much maybe the knickknacks. You notice the teeth right away. Yeah, no, this is a very cool space. You know, as magicians, we're always, we have a job where we're always kind of analyzing things constantly because Mm. we have to kind of uh, see what the situation entails and kind of make references to things. And so I'm obviously like spotting the space and looking at it. And it's really cool. We're like in, uh, for those of us who can't see us, which I think is everybody, um, (laughs) because this is an audio-only podcast, we are in a cool closet slash library (laughs) slash... um, Hot box. (laughs) It's pretty pretty awesome, honestly. I'm pretty excited to be here. This This has a little bit of my past, some stuff from previous guests. Like these are from, uh, this card game is from a previous guest. Okay. He invented the game. Um... Some are paintings from friends of mine. My brother gave me this phoenix. This very phoenix. He looks very Dungeons and Dragons-y. Yeah, yeah he was really into that. Um, he still is, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then wigs that I wear on occasion and books I've read. That a lot of, have you, what percentage of these books have you read? Eighty-seven percent. Does that include the Girdle of Aphrodite? <laughs> it does. Okay. I read that in college. I say that's a great, and we've got some Shelley. We got is that is that a husband or wife? Uh, that one is husband. Yeah. Yep. Purse. The, the more Percy. the more rare the Shelleys. Like the poet, I believe. Mm, he's a poet. Yeah. I didn't know it. 
I, I like the Shelleys. I find them fascinating. And Byron, of course, which is somewhere right there. Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah, so lots of lots of books. I'm a big fan of books. I'm a, I have six bookshelves myself. Yeah, so. it's great. When I made my first record, I sold a whole bunch of my book collection, which is terribly difficult to do, but higher purpose and all that. And then over time, I rebuilt the pile. My auntie, my great aunt, wrote a bunch of these. Ooh. She was a children's book author. She wrote which one? I see. But I, mean, I see the man the hat. But or yeah. is that is that just like a, no, a library sticker? Anything with Hawkins. That Hawkins, was her. Quail Hawkins. So. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Kind of fun. Anyway, enough about me and my wackadoodly do. Although I am curious. So as a as a musician, as mm -hmm. a magician, when you. When you're doing your work, I imagine there's a lot of subtlety you have to pick up. Just when people are dressed, what they're saying, their mannerisms. Exactly. Yeah. There's actually, speaking of books, there's a book I read uh, relatively recently called The Neuroscience of Magic, mm. which actually probably interesting. I know you, you had a neuroscientist on recently. Big fan. Um, and basically, they're basically analyzing how um, misdirection works and how kind of, basically how, how magicians, trying to use magicians as an example of analyzing the brain. Oh. It's it's quite an interesting book, and they have they had a moment um, they describe in the book where they're at a restaurant with a magician, mm -hmm. and they ask him, and he's literally talking about that very thing that he's always analyzing things, and he's like, can you give an example of that? And he closes his eyes and he says, the couple over there, uh, the guy's deciding when to pop the question. The couple over there, like that end of the table, they're going through a fight. You know, the table over there is celebrating a birthday. The table over there just graduated from like college, whatever. And it's like his eyes are closed, and it's just he's spotted all these different little things in advance it's almost in a weird way like i feel like a magician and a cia agent kind mm. of like share that same thing that i'm always very aware of the situation you know because it's like when i'm performing uh, you know i might have my controlled angles where i'm staring at people or a group of people but i need to be aware if somebody's going to come up behind me at any moment let's say i'm performing in a more crowded environment sure. or and not a stage for example you know yeah, because we met at a bar. We did, we and did. And you were a, a rowing, uh, roving slash roaming. Roaming. Mix those words together. A roving magician, a roving, if you do. Yeah, if you will, uh, in, in the bar, and that was a lot of fun, uh, and you were great. Oh, a lot thank of close-up magic, which is cool. I was I was the first yeah, house close-up magician at Black Rabbit Rose in Hollywood, California. Mm, that sounds like that's a... that's where we met. <laughs> is that where we were? Yes, it was. Oh, mm. see, I just went to a birthday party, and there, and you know, it's just show up at this address. Okay, I didn't really pay attention to where I was. Fair. Well, that's where it was, yeah. and so I was the first uh, close-up ma magician there. And uh, I still perform there once or twice a week. Do you really? Residency. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. It's a really cool place. I love that. Are drunk people harder to be a magician for? So it's interesting. I I have this conversation relatively frequently. Um, I I try to you know like people like often ask me what kind of a magician I am, and I say that there's different magicians. You know, like you might have like kind of somebody who's more of like a juggler type magician where it's all kind of like displays of skills mm. and I'm kind of a conversationalist magician I'm almost you know there's part of, parts of me that might be kind of like stand-up comedian-y per se and yeah I guess there are extremes where somebody's extremely belligerent where that's not Ugh. possible yeah but relatively drunk people I kind of like that's my wheelhouse you know it was like kind of a, it's kind of a fun moment for me to, to do actually I was at the Magic Castle a couple weeks ago and, you know, um, 
one of uh, one of the managers of the castle came into the room and spoke with the magician that was performing there, and he's like, "Hey, uh, how are you dealing? How are you do- dealing with drunk people?" Um, and I was talking with this magician hanging out. I was like, "How are you dealing with drunk people?" And he's like, "We have these like three really drunk like women outside, and they're kind of belligerent." And the guy's like, "Ah, eh, like why are we asking this question?" And it turns out that they were with uh, Lance Armstrong and guests of Lance Armstrong, and so you know it's kind of a VIP guest, and like they didn't deal with it, and they ended up not putting them in that show. But meanwhile, I'm like, this is my wheelhouse. I can have a blast with this. Give me the this. drunk girls. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take the drunk girls and Lance Armstrong. That's like totally, like I, mean, like I said, I perform at a bar once or twice a week. Like I, this is, I love this. I love, because I, I can control that. I yeah. can deal with that. If somebody's acting belligerent, I'll turn the other people against that person, you know. I'll yeah. like, and you toured with David Blaine. What was I did. that like? Um, that was amazing. Uh, so is I, he the devil? Is he the devil? He is He is not the devil. He is not the devil. Maybe I, I might be the devil. I, I, people often ask me if I'm the devil, at which point I pull out my, my, my credit card, um, which, which if this is just very amusing, and when it expires, I'll be very upset. But look at my security code. Uh, oh, hey. Yeah. Security code of the devil. I got 666 as a security code. We won't give the number, but no. <laughs> what I thought that was kind of... I memorized it. Uh, yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Done. <laughs> You're the magician now. I am. Um, so, actually, if you want to know um, a little bit about the David Blaine situation or how I started working yeah. for him. Uh, so, I'd met him beforehand, and he uh, came to Los Angeles. He was preparing his first national uh, tour. And he asked me to drop by on like a Tuesday, like, hey, hey, Roby, do you want to drop by the, sh- uh, the show and see how it's preparing? And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, whatever. So I, I show up and I show up in the morning and I'm there all afternoon and kind of he's like asking me, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I'm like, uh, I'm very, I'm an honest person. So I'm like, I, I'm not just like, oh, it's, everything's amazing. I'm like, okay, this needs some work, this is blah, 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 whatever. And I, I gave my kind of my points and my critiques and he's like, he really appreciated them. And he's like, well, instead of just hanging out for the day, do you want to be hired for the week to like kind of give commentary and help build the show and whatever? And I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, you're a magician, you know, you have David Blaine asking you to do that, you do that. And then two days later, he's like, you know, instead of uh, instead of uh, just being here for the week, do you want to hop on the tour bus and be on the national tour of us, kind of, you know, like working for me and helping for her? And I'm like, okay, you know, uh, sure, sure. I called I called my girlfriend at the time and I'm like, uh, I'm going to be gone for three months, you know, <laughs> she's like, so what? Exciting. So that was kind of really fun. And so I got a kind of I did two national tours with him, you know, two like 40 city like tours. They call them international tours, but. It's Canada, you know. So it's not, I guess it's relative, slightly international, it but it's country. it is another country. But it's it's not not quite. I don't know. I think Canada, it's America, North is kind America of the same is, thing. Yeah. is incorporate. You know, incorporates. It, it's a continental it's, tour. Yes, exactly. It's a continental tour. That's right. But um, a little bit about no. David's an amazing person. He's super kind. Yeah. Super generous with his time, with he his has efforts. A good um, chill vibe. He's got a chill vibe. That's yeah. an interesting thing. Um, a lot of people poke fun of him. For that you know really? then you see, I dig it I think it's very relaxing it is very relaxing yeah. but you'll see but that's exactly like if you go on like YouTube and look up comedians talking about David Blaine or there's parodies and improv parodies sure. the parodies they, are funny the, they are very fun yeah um, I'm sure he gets a kick out of them he I'm actually the first person who showed them the parody when it first came out yeah. I'll take I'll take credit for that but um yeah they like you know he's kind of like pick a card you know like they have like that that kind of <laughs> yeah. thing but he um He's actually not like that in real life. He's actually kind of very enthusiastic and mm. speaks, but a lot of people assume but kind of like they like to they like to parody him as being boring. But it's actually he made a choice that if I had magical powers, 
would I be like Copperfield kind of, you know, like waving my hands like mm. a like an like an Italian opera singer or would I just let them happen? And in a weird way, his kind of stylistic choices as calm as he is, the more the magic is impressive. So it's like he's kind of taking away the agency. The more calm he is, the more he's taking away the agency and the magic is just kind of happening and it's just I he like has that, those abilities. Which is why people think he's the devil. Exactly. Which cracks me up. Yeah. Personally, I'm a big fan of, of the Lucifer mythology, so mm-hmm. I don't know what that says about me, but that's I, I talk about that a lot on the show, that, that I actually dig that mythology. I think it's fascinating. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there are good points, you know, in a lot of the mythologies. I mean, it's... I'm like, all about the truth, and, yeah. and I, I believe that he was one of the original truth-tellers, So, which is funny because over time it was bastardized, and he became the teller of lies and the master of lies, but I don't think that's his vibe at all. Yeah, it's like, is is the tree of knowledge that bad to have, you know? That's right. He's sort of an underdog. In no, way, you know? 100%. Which I dig. Anyway, uh, when you travel with somebody at that level, uh, is it... I know the magician's keep their secrets do they keep them from each other too or do are they is there a shared camaraderie of there's a sh- shared camaraderie so how it kind of works is people are like how if magicians don't reveal secrets how mm-hmm. do you become a magician is mm-hmm. the question people like to ask and it's I have a couple tricks that I would teach anybody in the world that would ask me the trick and it's they're very simple tricks they're very basic tricks they're good tricks. They're better than the 21 card trick that most kids learn in summer camp, which drives magicians crazy. I'm going to tell this to all of your audience. If you know the 21 card trick, never show it to a magician. They hate it. It upsets them. They might be like me and be polite about it and watch you do it, but just please don't do it. It's it's a really upsetting thing. Have you seen this trick? I haven't. You haven't? Yeah. It's it's basically a trick where they count out 21 cards and it's like, is your card in this pile or that pile? And it's just like an entirely math-based trick and they yeah. like recount them out again. It yeah, takes yeah. like 10 minutes. Okay, and I think I've seen that on the old TikToks. Uh, it's a, maybe. Only a, it was in increments of uh, was it 10 or 13 or something like that, but it was sort of the same idea where there's piles and I was like, it's just a math. I'm yeah. sure it's a math trick, but what it, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but going back to the point was, so I would teach this trick to somebody mm-hmm. and then I would ask them, work on it, practice it, perform it, and then if I see them later on doing the trick and they've actually put in some effort, and, you know, even the most basic, like, self-working trick, if you have the proper effort, the proper story, the proper imagination, it can come across as very powerful. And so if I see that somebody's put in time and they're being precise and they're not sloppy, Mm. then I might show them a slightly higher trick. And then if they learn that, a little bit higher, a little bit higher, it's almost like an apprenticeship, you know? Yeah, like, I and So it's kind of the same thing amongst magicians. It's we've all read the same books. We've all, you know, or if we haven't read the same books, we'll recommend reading X books to each other. Yeah. And so we'll just kind of share all that knowledge with each other. Did you see In and of Itself? Uh, I have. I did. Oh, it was so a fantastic freaking show. Freaking good. And then I ordered his book and read that. And it was neat because he's sort of talking about that. And that, as a kid... He, you know, went into a magic shop, and the proprietress uh, and the proprietor started showing him. So what showing was him up. exactly. Yeah. Now be careful with that book. Not everything is true. Not everything. Of course. Yeah, but no, but more so. More I think he s- says that in the book. Yeah. As well. Yeah. More so than any other autobiography, he's kind of playing with truths because that's kind of his character as the magician, you know. Right. Yeah, and that's why it was it called a moral man. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, which I mean, right there, he's. Peeking behind the, the I know the I know you had Frederick on your show yeah. and it was uh, an honest liar was his 
the name of that episode as well as a show he apparently had. And there's many magicians that have referred themselves to that in the past. Like there's a documentary on James Randi, um, which I think is still on Netflix. It was for a while, which is called An Honest Liar. Oh, interesting. And it's all about uh, Randi being a spiritual uh, basically, the idea of it is he's debunking kind of all the people making false psychic claims. Mm. And then it turns out that he is also kind of living a lie. And I don't want to spoil the film because it's actually a terrific Ooh, documentary. I love documentary, so I'll check that out. Uh, it brings up, what do you think of people with uh, what I would call the woo-woo? The woo-woo. So I knew you were going to ask me that, so I came prepared. I actually brought two books with me. Did you know because you're the, in the woo-woo? I'm in the woo-woo. I'm in the woo-woo. So I brought two books with me. The first book I brought was called The Discovery of Witchcraft. Ooh. It's a book by Reginald Scott. What a fun cover. It is a cool cover. It's not the... I don't know if it's... So it's... um. Here, I'll read the back. Okay. In 1584, when there are few who would even defend witches against these charges... And they're talking about what witches do beforehand. Sure. Reginald Scott went one step further. He actually set out to prove that witches did not and could not exist. King James later found Scott's opinion so her heretical that he ordered all copies of his book to be burned. But so rich and full of data on the charges against witches, on witch trials, and on the actual practice of the black arts was Scott's discovery of witchcraft, but it remained a much-used source throughout the 17th and 18th centuries, and is still one of the few primary sources for the study of witchcraft today. Ooh. So basically what this book was was, you know, this at the time when kind of the English Empire was going after witches and burning them or going after anybody kind of showing any display of magic, his point was, no, it's all trickery, you shouldn't go after them. And so he wrote this book which explained how all the tricks worked. <laughs> and turned out they were all ducks. All ducks, all ducks, all ducks. They did float. They float they didn't sink in the in the river. But um <laughs> Yeah, check it out. But so um, I love the cover. It's it's quite cool. It's a very cool book. Yeah. And uh so yeah, and so the the king, like as I said whatever, the, the king the king like had these burned, which is kind of funny because he didn't want somebody messing with his burning, which is very strange when you think about it. I mean, welcome to politics, right? It's like, how dare you show that the witches I'm killing aren't actual witches? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. right, because it was rooted in misogyny, all sorts of things, and, and weird religious indoctrinations. And now this this is an, uh, this is a book like published in the last. 10 years, or a republishing of it in the last 10 years. And so it is not signed by the author. It's not signed by the author. <laughs> um, so this this is, but that is, as I said, a book that was frequently burned. The second book I brought to you was also a book that was frequently burned. However, I have it in protecting wrapping, because this one's a little bit nicer. Ooh, Ooh! These are my kind of books, the ones that look old. <gasps> Houdini! So this is called Miracle Mongers and Their Methods, and it's basically Houdini going after all the psychic mediums of his time period. Yeah, I've read a lot about that, um, because I, I've done research into spiritualism and all that. Mm -hmm. and, wow, this is so cool! So this is a first edition. Is it really? Yeah. So I'm going to bonk you on the head and steal this? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that, that one has some value to it. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode never happened. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just delete the files. That's right. That Although so cool. I actually got an amazing deal on this book, Did which you I'm really? kind of. So, I was randomly. So I was trying to. Th I was thinking it would be kind of fun to design kind of like a psychic show from like a 1920s style, but as oh, a magician. Yeah. And so I was basically. I figured I wanted to read Houdini's actual text on it, mm -hmm. and so I, w I wanted to get a hard copy. And so I went on eBay to buy like some music. They're still printing it today, and so I searched for the title "Miracle Mongers and Their Methods," and. 
Anyway, somebody had posted this book on eBay. They didn't put in Houdini. And so anybody that had a Houdini keyword search, it didn't flag them or pop up for them. And he didn't put first edition. So I, like, was the only bidder on this book. And I, like, you know on eBay you can put in a bid and then you can put in, like, a higher bid so it automatically bids mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. So, like, I put in a bid of $10 and then I put in, like, an automatic bid of, like, $400 because this book sells for, like, $800,000. Yeah. And nobody bid against me, so I got it for $10. Oh, my goodness. Which is pretty pretty awesome. I'm shocked that the person let it go. Um, I was looking at the person's page. It seems like they were somebody who I think kind of sells books from estate sales. Oh, so, so it they wasn't, don't know what there they was have like, even. Yeah, there was no other magic books, and there were no other like really rare or old books, yeah. you know? So I yeah. think they just, like I said, the fact they didn't even put Houdini they as a keyword. Yeah. Ooh, good but I mean, for you. I mean, Houdini is on the cover, though. You know, like I it's mean, like, but, how can you not? Yeah, but but people aren't that aware. Yeah, well, especially in estate sales and things like that. And then they sales. they posted they posted all all of the um they posted like this picture oh, yeah. like whatever and stuff like that. So it's that's kind, so great. I love it. Kind of crazy. Well done. I'm actually I'm gonna show it. Actually, I've, I'm gonna drop by the Magic Castle later tonight, and I'm, I was gonna speak. I'm speaking for librarian at the castle. I'm gonna show him this book because we're literally having. I got it like two weeks ago. Oh, so. I love this a library. Oh yeah, we have one of the best libraries in the world of magic. Oh with, my gosh. And our librarian is one really? of the best magicians in the world. So it's kind of, he's like got That's that brain. So Harry Potter. It's very Harry oh, Potter. That made me very excited. Um, <laughs> his name is cool. Bill Goodwin. Um, he's an older gentleman with like a mysterious dark black long hair. Um, kind of like has like a bit of like a handsome vampire energy Ooh, to him. It. Yeah, and you have that too, though. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. Um, and he, uh, but he has like a deeper voice too, you know, and yeah. he has like that kind of energy. But you speak with him, wow. and it's like, hey, Bill, I'm thinking of like blah blah blah. Do you have any ideas? And he's like, oh, you should check out volume like 246 of the Sphinx on page like 62, and you're like. How? Yeah. And he has just has like he has like all this knowledge stored. So it's actually one of the best advantages of being a member of the castle is actually having access to the library and having access to Bill. Because he is Plot just, twist, he is a vampire. He he might be. He might be. Actually he he, he might be Reginald Scott. You know, yeah, he was yeah. trying to get people off of his back. Yeah. There's yeah. always a pos possibility. I, I went to the Magic Castle with my friend Ruth and uh, and it was a really interesting experience. I saw that they had a seance room mm -hmm. that sort of old school spiritualist did you did you go into the seance room or did you uh, we, do a seance? I, it, was, uh, it was already booked out or, or whatnot so we I, I mean we saw two shows I think and then uh, two of the the theater shows mm -hmm. and then sat at a bunch of the up close magic uh, tables and then I went and had a tarot reading and okay that was fun it was a fun night the seance room it's uh, actually just been completely redone during mm -hmm. covid um, and it's kind of a I haven't seen the new seance, but the old one was kind of, shall we say, I would say more Disneyland than, yeah. than true spiritualist, you know, yeah. that kind of, I mean, there was like a moving table and things like that, but you kind of felt like you were at the Haunted Mansion, um, but we'll see. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by Houdini, so it's the Houdini seance room. I actually think that, um, I think Frederick spoke about it in the podcast as well. He probably well. did. It's been a while since he was on the show about, it's been two years now. Time, time flies. What is time? Time I mean, flies Mark, when you're stuck in quarantine. I mean, it's just crazy. Because I went to the Magic Castle when I first arrived here. So that would have been two years ago. 
which is nuts. Anyway, wow. All right, let's go back. Let's okay. go back to childhood. Did you have an immediate fascination with magic, or did it come to you later? Um, every magician you ever ask tells you the same story. It's always, I got a magic set, and right. there's the people who stuck with it, there's the people who didn't. I had that same story. I okay. got the magic set, although I was less of the... Um, I didn't really get like the I got a box, but I was I originally got like a trick deck. Um, it's called a Svengali deck. It's usually one of the first trick decks that you get, and I really like that. And then I got another trick deck, and so I kind of had these kind of self-working decks that kind of did it. But then I was kind of crafting stories with them, mm. and then I got some books, and then I got deeper and deeper, and I was started learning how to do it myself. Um, the main book that I learned everything from uh, originally was a book called Mark Wilson's Cyclopedia of Magic. It's available on Amazon for, I mean, you can get a used copy for like $7. Oh. And it's like a big, you know, like 400-page volume. Uh, it's written by this magician, Mark Wilson, who passed away, unfortunately, I think within the last year. And um, he was like one of TV's top magicians in the 70s. Mm. And he kind of wrote it, and his his wife was his um, nanny. Darnell was kind of his main kind of assistant, but also partner. And she's actually still alive. And um, their son Greg Wilson is also still a performing magician, and does big illusions. But I'm just saying that now, in case anybody's listening and they want to buy a book for kids to learn magic from, they should just buy that because it's relatively cheap and it covers coins, cards, everything, and it's. Kind of a lot of magic books are really hard to read. Not so much that a lot of magicians just are bad writers. <laughs> and Mark Wilson's book is actually a terrific book. It's easy to read. The drawings are clear. And honestly, it's I think it's the best way for people to start learning magic. Some people like try to learn from YouTube, but here's the thing: the people that are teaching on YouTube are in most cases people who aren't the best magicians themselves. Because it's kind of like if you have self-respect as a magician, you're not going to be the one teaching how to do the tricks on YouTube. You're going to be publishing it and sharing it within the community. Yeah. And you went off to college. Did you... I mean, I don't... I'm doubting that magicianship is a is a major at no. Princeton, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, no, I was a, I was a, I went to Princeton. Um, I was an English major. Um, I studied a fair amount of medieval studies and film studies as well, and some computer science. Um, I was kind of like all over doing random weird things. I mean, it's kind of the magician. I have no idea what I want to do. And post-college, I worked at New York Magazine for a bit. I worked for an internet startup, and I did some acting as well because I was in Los Angeles for a bit. And, you know, it was kind of like almost like the pastiche of, the, of like you have like the... um you have like the actor of a struggling actor who's going on auditions and he's paying for his life by working at Starbucks, right? Yeah. So I was I was like trying to do acting and I was paying for my life by doing magic. And then I just started getting more and more magic where it's like, I can't go to this audition because I'm booked to perform. And like, I can't learn these lines because I'm booked to perform. And yeah. it just kind of shifted into full-time magic. Yeah, and you love it. I love it. It's, I mean, it's kind of... I have a job where I get to immediately see the happiness I create, yeah. which is kind of nice. You know, most jobs, you don't get that immediate response. And I get to make people feel like children. And I think yeah. that's so good. I think in this day and age where everybody's so blasé and over everything, mm -hmm. just having kind of the veneers of reality drop, if even for so slight a second, is really wonderful. Yeah, I talked about that, about, about that with Frederick. The people that sit in the, row, in the front row and they have their arms crossed and they just 
magic isn't real. <laughs> Why are you at a magician show? <laughs> you see, I love those people. You do? I love those people. Because like, like as I was saying before, I'm like, I'm the conversationalist magician. So I'm going to end up, you know, if I get a chance, I'm going to have a conversation with them. I'm going to ask them what they do. I'm going to find out that somebody is, you know, a plasma physicist, you know, then I'm going to start talking about the Princeton Plasma Physics Lab, where I would hang out with this professor who actually was fascinated with magic, and I would, like, make it relevant to them. Mm. And then suddenly I'm talking about the guy who's, like, designing plasma rockets for NASA as, like, a subcontract and how much he loves magic. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can love magic, you know? And I'm, like, equating yeah. it to their thing. Or if somebody's... If I can, like, kind of switch the humor, so I'm talking with a doctor, I'm kind of, you know, like, going to make jokes and references about medical things and just kind of use the fact that I read a fair amount to kind of bring it to, to their table, per se. And um, also another thing to say is it's... And this kind of is a good... It's like kind of a good get-out-of-jail-free card, but it's almost the more intelligent you are, the easier you are to actually fool with magic. Oh. And you tell that to people, and it's like almost kind of, you know, it's like the emperor's not wearing any clothes, you know? Like, it's like kind of a... You know that story? Of, uh, of course. Right, where yeah. it's... um. If for those of you listening, there's a story of an emperor who kind of gets embezzled by people who basically tell him that they're tailors and using invisible kind of ink, and that basically, if you're smart, or, or sorry, invisible thread, if you're smart, you can see the thread, but if you're an idiot, you don't see it. And so nobody wants to tell the emperor, but he's actually naked, even the emperor himself, yeah. until like a small child is like, the emperor's naked, and, yeah. and that goes along. But while I say it in comparison with that, I'm not wrong. It's, um, for example... People often ask me if I perform for kids. I usually don't. I was just going to ask, are they harder to get one over on? It's not that they're harder to get one over. It's that the, the ways and techniques and the things you would use to get one over on a kid are completely different. Mm. Um, like, have you ever done peekaboo to a child? Sure. Do you know why that works? Uh, I think I relative observational is, is, I think, the term. It's called uh, uh, object permanence. I was so go Close! Close. <laughs> Pretty, pretty close. Got it. You know what, though? Thesaurus. That yeah. was a pretty good... There, that's pretty solid. Yeah, that's pretty solid. I'll give you I'll give you a partial credit. I don't know if that's full Jeopardy credit, but no, it's, it's, it's... I would have flunked that on the test. I know. <laughs> that's right. Object permanence. I knew it was somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. But yeah, yeah it's because like if when your hands cover <laughs> your face, you're invisible, right? Right. And so imagine that I'm performing for a toddler who doesn't have object permanence. If a card changes from red to blue, that's not impressive to a toddler where he's just discovering gravity, you know, and he's just trying to understand how things work. And as kids get older, um, kind of, you know, like once object permanence gets established, then there's other things where like, you know, like if you like take transfers of liquids, if you have one cup and a different cup and one cup looks bigger and one cup looks smaller and you pour it from one cup to the other, they, they will not realize that they have the same amount of liquid yet. Because mm. I'm like, no, it looks bigger over there, so there's more liquid. A lot of adults are like that, too. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. But as you get older and older, kind of all these things get established. And I like to equate it this way. You know, in magicians, they say we have misdirection. Mm. But to have misdirection, you have to have direction. And it's like, if I, like, wave my hand up in the sky, adults will tend to follow the hand. And the kids will stay down low and look at the other hand. And so, so you can't use the same type of misdirection to mess with a kid. That's why it's more like, look at this coloring book. It's red. Now it's green. Now it's black and white. You know, and those are the tricks that kids like because it's just kind of instantaneous and there's nothing kind of for them to follow. It's just hitting them like a freight train. When you told your family, I'm going to be a magician, did anyone go, what are you insane? Or was everyone pretty cool with it? Uh, I mean, 
my family, I come from an artistic family. My dad's an artist painter, so... Oh, that's nice. They're like, whatever, do, uh, okay. do whatever you do, just be happy. You're lucky. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All right, you know, when I watched the in and of itself, the one, I mean, it was, to me, incredible, but the one that really blew my hair back was the letters. Mm -hmm. How the hell did he do that? And if y'all haven't seen it, I really recommend it. It's a fun watch. It's, it's a on, it's on, on Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. It's a terrific watch. And yeah, he is, David Blaine's in the audience. And, and he, the he is. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that pop up in the audience. Yeah, I read that it. he went about eight or nine times to it. I I can't speak to that. I don't know. Yeah, I read. That's a yeah. It's, it's possible. Really into it. It's I possible. mean, I don't I don't blame him. I would have probably done that too. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it was a great great show. Oh God, I would have loved to see it in real life. I, I did. I had the opportunity. I was yeah. lucky enough. That's so great. Um, what was I going to tell you as far as other cool things with Matt? Oh, I wanted to say this. I because you were talking about me working for David Blaine. I had another thing which I'm pretty proud of is I did the magic consulting for um, Birds of Prey, which is the Harley Quinn film. Oh. And so that was another cool thing that I had the opportunity to do. So was That's kind cool. of um, they have a, this 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 girl there, this young girl, and she um she's like a street thief. She, like Cassandra Kane is is the character. And basically, I was teaching her how to roll coins on her fingers, how to pickpocket, how to do all of those stuff. And uh, uh, the actress's name is Ella. And I never was expecting to teach like a 12-year-old girl how to pickpocket. And it was fun because like, I was telling the parents, you know, like, make sure you get, you know, good phone cases for your phones because she's going to be reaching into them and practicing during the day. And if it falls down, I don't want you to call and, like, blame me for your broken screen. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, Which that's was funny. Kind of, kind of a fun thing. And that was kind of a cool mixture of all of my passions, so I was pretty happy of it. You know, like, oh, being on the film sure. set, using all my knowledge of film, and, you know, and just... Like, there's a moment, there's a moment in the film where I don't want to spoil it, but... Uh, the girl who's a pickpocket, she there's like the one of the big bad guys in the film, and he's walking down the street, and the girl who's a pickpocket, Ella, like bumps into him and steal reaches into his pocket, and she ends up stealing the you know like twenty million dollar diamond whatever mm. thing, which mm. kind of sets mm. the entire movie into motion. And so I'm there on set, and I've taught her how to do all the techniques and whatever, and she is going about it, and they basically have this guy walking down the street, and then uh, this little girl walks by, bumps into him, takes a thing, and I'm like. I went up to the director, and um, I said to her, "Imagine you're carrying a twenty million dollar, you know, diamond in your pocket, and somebody randomly bumps into you into an empty street. You're gonna immediately look in your pocket. So I'm like, we have to fill the street with extras so that the little girl has an excuse that she's kind of bouncing around to bump into him. And you know, it was like such a small detail." But it was just funny because you have like this big budget, you know, X hundred million dollar Hollywood film. And if I hadn't said that, I'm sure, you know, Reddit would have all been like, how does he not notice right yeah, away? You know? right. So it's, no, absolutely. Do you then design, I assume, your, your tricks and how long does it take to kind of from idea to fruition? So I'm going to be honest. There are some magicians who are more creators and there are some magicians who are more optimizers. I'm more of an optimizer than a creator. Um, like there are, in fact, some of the best creators aren't professional magicians. There are people who have other jobs mm. and they're tinking around and they come up with ideas. And sometimes, you know, you'll have somebody who's a computer programmer who will think of like some random, really cool, you know, app, which could be used in a magic sense. Or you have somebody who is, you know, a physicist and he might find some weird way of using magnets, you know, per se to like do some cool levitation type thing. Um, 
And so as magicians, kind of my job is always be aware of what's coming out. And obviously I create some things as well, but I, that's not really my bread and butter. I'm more of a, I take what exists and kind of add my own stamp mm. to it, add my own mm. flourishes, add my own conversation, make it relevant. Do people write and sell tricks the way comics Comedian writers sell jokes. Then, um, honestly, I did not know that comedian writers sell jokes. I know, I know that they sell them for like you know, like a South Park type thing. But mm -hmm. I didn't know. Do they sell them for stand-ups? Oh, sure. I I did not yeah. know about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, magicians. So there are magicians who definitely like some magicians who's who don't perform and all they do is kind Great. of create magic. Like one of my best friends, a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Budzak, almost never performs. But he's always creating um, new tricks and new designs. And he's like kind of, you know, like has some amazing effects out there that are being, you know, like terrific reviews from all the magicians that use them. And yet he barely performs himself. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting. You know, it's like all the different, you know, you like you have the architect and you have the mason and you have you have all the different parts yeah. that kind of come together. That's so interesting. What is it that you from the camaraderie of the castle? Is there also rivalry do you get a is there a fun kick in the pants trying to out magician people or it's yeah um a lot of magicians are like that where it's it's kind of fun there's kind of a uh are we allowed to curse on your podcast absolutely okay there's like there <laughs> there tends a lot of magicians have kind of like a dick waving contest you oh, know yeah. per se where it's like oh I know this special, you know, shuffle or this special thing, or it's like, you know, or it's like, I can make the card change from this card to this card using this special technique, or it's like, oh, you only know this version of that, but you don't know the three other versions published and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, this like magician one-upmanship, and I, I hate that because I'm not trying to fool other magicians. I'm trying to fool layman yeah and it's fun because I've noticed this like I've performed at events with magicians who actually have much better sleight of hand th than me and I would I would admit that and kind of can do kind of crazy things with their hands that I can't do and we're performing at the same event and my audience is screaming 10 times louder than their audience and it's just because for example my, my patter my conversation my making it feel relevant to who the people are kind of hits them harder mm. and so I, I tend to like try to stay away from that that, that noise and yeah. just kind of focus on you know it's like I'm not I'm not in it to fool other magicians I'm, I'm in it to kind of fool an audience and entertain and kind of create joy and make people feel feel that yeah that special moment I think up close magic is fascinating how how much time do you have to repeat something over and over and over again to you feel confident to bring it out into the world? I mean, it must be it's, daunting. It's endless. Yeah. It's endless. But it's not always, you know, it's like I'll be watching, you know, The Queen Gambit's on Netflix and, you know, I have a deck of cards in my hands and I'm like practicing while I'm doing that. So it's not always just practicing in front of a mirror or even as I sat down, I, you know, I had two decks of cards in my pocket because I always have them on me. Yeah. And it's always, and I'm, I'm always looking for the opportunity to perform for people too. And as I'm, I'm always constantly practicing, if I'm doing a paid show, I'm obviously showing the best of the best material. Sure. But I, I'm always, you know, like I'll be, you know, walking to a, you know, I'll, I'll be performing for a valet as like he brings my car, you yeah. know, and you know, and I, I just kind of, I actually almost prefer performing for people who aren't used to seeing it. Mm. Um, I had, actually I've had some great opportunities for that. So I actually, um, 
I was hired to perform for this charity in Georgia, which was called Georgia Jailhouse Dogs, and they were kind of one of the first groups that would pair inmates with uh, with dogs, mm-hmm. and they would take dogs who were very young and attractive dogs, but they were super aggressive, and so people weren't adopting them, and so they would pair them with an inmate for like a month or, or so, or two months, and meanwhile the inmate is living with the dog like 24-7. I think it's a great program. It's a wonderful program, yeah. and by the end of it, the dogs like sit, they heal, they're calm, and they've lost all the aggression or, or most of the aggression and then they go back to the back to the shelters and, it's and they great get for the inmates. Yeah. They get adopted right away. And then yeah. the inmates they learn, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they're like twenty five and they, they have kids out there, you know, and they don't have, you know, like the experience of being a father or the experience of caring for something. And yeah. so it kind of like Or being cared back unconditionally. Exactly. I think that's probably the biggest lesson is that Finally, there's something in their life that loves them unconditionally, which many people incarcerated probably have not had. It's. I was listening to a Moff podcast, and uh, this woman was talking about volunteering at a prison and how she told the inmates, you know, like, like she was invited to a concert, and, and all the other volunteers went to that concert, and they're like, why did you not go to that concert? And she said, well, because I love you guys. And then they all broke, and a lot. And one of the guys said, "It's the first time somebody ever told me that they loved me." Mm-hmm. And like all the guys are breaking down. So it's it's true. And then also, at a more practical thing, some of these guys they get get out, and then they can get jobs at shelters or at zoos or whatever. Sure. They've gained some practical experience. So anyway, I was hired to perform for kind of the gala in Atlanta, and you know, performing for the people who are supporting it. And then they're like, "Hey, do you want to perform for the inmates?" And I'm like. I performed for so many wealthy people. I'd much rather go into a jail and you know, like, um, uh, what what is what is that musician? Um, the man Cash. in black. Yeah, I'd much rather Johnny Cash. It. That's so yeah. much more interesting. That's so much more cool of a story. It's funny. I was gonna say Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> I think the actor, not the actual guy. But um, yeah, so I went in and I performed there. And this this was um, Chatham County Jail, and it was the latest MSNBC lockup jail. So it's like it's like a serious. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. It's uh-huh. the show where they go with cameras and they always feel, film the life of the jail and oh, interview yeah. the inmates and stuff. And so I was there. And at first, the warden was very gruff because he had to like take time out of his day to accompany us. And he doesn't really care that much. He'd rather like be in his office, you know, mm. doing whatever he does. And like super you know, gruff. And then I, I ended up, you know, in this room surrounded by like these 40 inmates who were part of the Georgia JLS program. And I'm performing for them, hanging out with them and doing magic. And at the end of the day, as we're leaving, he says, uh, Roby, do you know what's the best part about being warden? And I'm like, no. And he's like, I got cameras everywhere. So I'm going to spend the rest of the day replaying the tapes to try <laughs> to find out how you did it. And I'm like, that's so cool. <laughs> um, wow. The other interesting thing about that moment was because I was performing for inmates, I'd never had that restrict, like you can't take coins. Cause like a coin could theoretically become like a shim or it could become, or it could be the metal could be warped in some way to like oh, stab someone yeah. or something. A shim or a shiv. A shim or a shiv, exactly. Um, or a rope, you that's can't do any rope magic. <laughs> shim or a shiv, that's a good memoir. That's a good, I'd, I'd read that. Shim or shiv. Um, so I was just, I was just relegated uh, to cards. And then I also had a tiny plunger, which is uh, magician John Armstrong. He invented this effect, but it's basically you have like a little mini toilet plunger, and you do a lot of ridiculous things with it, and you kind of say that the plunger is doing the magic. And I've actually had a, a fair amount of incidents with this plunger. So um, there's a moment usually in the act where you kind of like stick it on somebody's forehead, you know, and I'm like, I'm at that moment, and it's kind of, you know, it's like an autopilot, and I was about to do it, and then I'm like, 
I'm surrounded by like inmates, you know, yeah. <laughs> who do I do this to? And there's like some like, I'm 6'4", there's like some guy who was like 6'7", you know, like covered in like tattoos, you know, with like, like a bald head, you know, whatever. I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna do it to this guy. And I went, oh, whoop, right? And then, and they loved it, you know, because yeah. it's like, they always say in like prison movies, you know, it's like, pick a fight with the biggest guy and then, yeah. and then you'll be okay. And I yeah. obviously wasn't picking a fight, but I think they respected the fact that I was, that, you picked that I, I chose that guy. Yeah. Um, another random thing that happened to me, that plunger, this, this happened uh, last last year. Um, I'm at this, this, this private party and is this 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 is the exact opposite of, of this we're talking like beautiful Beverly Hills house in sure. Los Angeles and we're talking um, I'm not gonna name any names but people who have certain influence and whatever and people very much in the scene and I put the plunger on this guy and it's his birthday and everybody's taking pictures we're laughing you know whatever and then I pull the plunger off and then his forehead starts shooting blood and we're all like and the thing was all they the people, thought that it they was, thought it was the part of the magic. Trick. They thought it was part of the trick. And my the, the the person who hired me said I thought it was part of the trick until I saw your face, Roby, and I'd never seen you like so panicked. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what happened? Because it's like it's a it's a very small suction. I'm like, what happened? And we're all there, and then suddenly the guy who I died says, Oh my fucking god, my Botox. <gasps> and so I had apparently put the plunger right at the incision point of his Botox and he'd gotten Botox earlier that day and when I pulled it off it just started shooting out the fluids and stuff which only in Los Angeles right? Oh my god that's amazing it's pretty cool so I plunged this guy's Botox did he forgive you? he did forgive me okay. I mean it was it was it was pretty hilarious you know oh, he had a good man. sense of humor about it wow that is nuts which was kind of it. That was such an LA moment. Such an LA moment, and like I like I was saying, I love performing in random places. You've like, been all over the world. All over, yeah. So I, you know, I honestly, so I, like I was in China, right? And I'm in Beijing, and when you go there, it's kind of you know, Western tourists were used to kind of being the tourists. Like if you're like a, an American and you go to Paris, you're gonna see like a lot of American tourists there. And then when you go to like a place like Beijing, you would expect the same thing, but then you realize there's like. X billion um, Chinese people in the world. Ninety-five percent of the tourists in Beijing are not actually Western tourists; they're Chinese tourists who are like visiting kind of their capital the same as same way somebody from Los Angeles would visit Washington D.C. And the thing was, um, for a lot of these people, I'm the first white, you know, like I'm and you're about, giant. For and I'm somebody, exactly yeah. I'm six foot four as well, so I stand out. And yeah. so you have like a little old grandma, you know, from some rice field somewhere who's come and visited like the capital city for the first time, and I'm the first white person she's ever seen. And so it's almost like, it's weirdly like being a celebrity. They like yes. try to take creep shots of you and photos. And like, you'll see like, there'll be like some beautiful golden Buddha. And they're they're pretending to take a picture of the Buddha, but they're actually taking a picture of like me. And it's like, this is very odd. Like, do you not see how amazing this Buddha is, right? But so you had that situation. But then I'm a magician, right? So it's like... Because then also the younger kids like want to take selfies or whatever yeah. like that and like put me on like their Badoo Tinder equivalent Chinese profile. And, um, but imagine, you know, like you're a little old lady, you're like in your 80s, you know, like you are in a heavily communist country where you're cut off from the world for a while. You like finally meet, you know, like some like tall, like white person and then like something starts to float. You know, and so like suddenly it's like so it's like I'm the first one, and I'm a wizard. You know, so yeah. it's like I like it, which kind of yeah. Or I had um another another kind of random moment is um one of my best friends is from Rwanda. Um, mm -hmm. he was a good college friend, and I was in Rwanda with him for and uh, Uganda for about a month for his wedding. I was actually a groomsman at his wedding, 
and but we went and the thing is you know when you're in the kind of like capital cities it's performing there is awesome it's the same as performing for any other you know like yeah. big city in the world sure. but um for example they don't have like an america's got talent they don't have a las vegas so they, they they're obviously very aware that you know like like that is just but it's sight of hand or whatever, stuff like that. But when you kind of go into like the remote sections, so I'm talking like not to stereotype, but the like the villages yeah. where people are walking a mile to get their water, you sure. know? I don't think that's a stereotype, it's just a fact. Yeah, yeah, it is a fact. But so, but when you go there, they have zero, they don't have exposure to magic. And so, like, I was performing in this village and I performed with these people, and then like my friend, my friend comes up, he's like, Roby, you need to, we need to go now. And I'm like, why? And he's like, I've been listening to him talking. And they told me they, they are trying to decide whether they want to attack you or venerate you. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're done here. That's a pretty good accent. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well done. Uh, that's like the movie The Gods Must Be Crazy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, with the Coca Cola, yes. the Coca Cola capsule. But, yeah, yeah. but it was, um, yeah, so it was like, Kind of, uh, it's like I, I didn't, I didn't like those odds, you well, know. Well, you bring up a good point. So culturally, I imagine magic is taken in much differently from culture mm -hmm. to continent. How do you adjust for things like that? Uh, well, I will pause with saying there's this fantastic female magician. Um, I, I forget her name offhand, um, but she actually, what she does is she goes to like, um, she goes to like parts of Africa and other like uh, 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 countries where people have not, not the freshest water. Mm. And you know, so like they, they want to kind of convince them to like add these filters, but people aren't trusting them. Mm. And so she actually goes and like goes to the non-fresh water and like will pull out a snake and then she runs it through the filter and she's like a magician, like so she, she makes it appear and then she like makes it go through the filter and then she pulls out like a flower. And so there's actually like a documentary about her, I think this being made, oh. where it's it's really cool. So she like literally goes and she uses magic to kind of like I'll have to look that up push and then add forward. that onto the links page because yeah. I'm curious who that I'll, is. I'll find her. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's a really cool random thing, but yeah, different cultures definitely have different views of magic. Um, have they ever gotten you into trouble besides almost being you know either made a god or assassinated in yeah. a village in Rwanda? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in trouble, not really. It's I almost feel like it's it's more of a get out of jail free card than the opposite. Yeah. Actually, if you want to speak specifically about get out of jail free, um, like two years ago. Um, I decided that I want to... I don't know if you know about this, but there's reserve police forces. Have you ever heard about this? I did not know so that. So the same way that there's like, you know, like the, the armed, the military yeah, reserve. military reserve. So there's a reserve police force. And what you do is you're supposed to like, you volunteer like, I think it's like one or two days a month. And and you just do it. And I, I just thought, and this was before all the like kind of... Yeah, yeah. It's... Talking about police can be a touchy subject sure. in 2021 in, in Los yeah. Angeles. So we're talking. Or this anywhere is for that matter. Or anywhere for that yeah. matter. This is before all of that. And um, I was thinking, but to, to do it, you also get all the training. Mm. And I was thinking it would be so fascinating to get all the training, you know, because almost like when they're on the job, they have to like be aware of what's going on around them. And that's very applicable to like a magician. Yeah. And like I said, I've performed for some of the wealthiest people in the world. 
and it's more interesting. And I figured, you know, it's like kind of like like Shaq. Sha- Shaquille O'Neal is like a reserve police officer. And uh, can but, you imagine Shaquille yeah. pulls you over? <laughs> well, he does. But thing is, so they'll use him more like him dressed in like in in a uniform, and yeah. he's like more. It's more about the goodwill. Yeah. And so I was thinking, like as as a magician, you know, like that could be kind of you know like a goodwill of like I'd be there in a the thing, but then I'd do some magic and I'd make yeah. some people happy. And then also there was a section of um, the reserve officers, uh, of uh, the sheriffs, the deputies, that um, I'm a big scuba diver, and a lot of the reserve officers are the ones who go and like do like kind of scuba rescues. And I'm yeah. like, that would be so cool to do. Or, or recovery. Exactly, or recovery, which is honestly perhaps more of it, but still would be very interesting. Um, and so anyway, I'm like, you know what, let me, let me try, to, try to get this done. And so um, I asked my girlfriend at the time, because like, um, it was like LAPD or LA Sheriff, so I'm like, which, which uniform is sexier? And she thought the sheriff uniform was sexier because, like, it's got the hat and whatever. It's like, okay, I'll go with the sheriff uniform. Yeah, girl mustache. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I go in, and the, f- the first step of the process is you have to take, like, some sort of, like, SAT-type test. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, I said, I went to Princeton, so I do very well on standardized tests. And, you know, like, they give you, let's say, like, two hours to take it, and I did it in, like, 30 minutes yeah. and got a very high, sure. near perfect score. And the thing was, they told you that if you pass the tests then you would be able then they would schedule for you um like later on you'd have your first interview and they'd schedule an interview and if you read their website it kind of sounds like you, you like take the test you get the results you go home and you schedule an interview for like a week later so i passed the test and I'm like okay we're gonna have your interview now and i was like not prepared for this and i'm wearing you know i'm the type of person but i'm gonna have an interview i'm gonna wear a dress shirt i'm gonna look a little bit nice i'm gonna have my hair slicked back but i'm you know i'm like just there to take a test so i'm like in like shorts and like sure. a t-shirt you know and the other thing was, so I have my interview with this gentleman, this deputy, and he is like the stereotypical kind of, you know, approaching retirement, has the super troopers mustache, like that that Epic. cut. Yeah, He's like, great movie, by the way. Terrific movie. I think there's a new one coming out. <laughs> oh my God, I love that movie. Um, his like name is like something like, I don't know his actual name anymore, but it's like something like Officer Steve Johansson, you know, which yeah. is like by the book in every way. Oh. Actually, sorry, let me backtrack. Before going to the interview, I'm in line with the other people who are going for the interview, and I'm speaking with them, and they're all kind of, you know, a lot of them are ex-military people. And this is like, I was the only person that day who was applying for a reserve, and so you have a very by-the-books, you know, crew cut people, I'm there with my long hair to my shoulders, and, you know, and there's like a questionnaire, and, you know, it's like supposed to say, like, have you ever had drugs? And I'm like, you know, it's like, I've smoked pot, you know, whatever, and, and I'm like, have you, and, and they're like, what did you fill in for that? And he's like, I would never touch, like, pot, you know, like, it wasn't okay in the military, and it wouldn't be okay here. And I'm like, Okay, okay, you know, so it was different, different from what I was used to living in totally, LA. They've never seen Apocalypse Now. But yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> that's, that's true. Terrific movie as well. Also a great movie, yeah. But, um... Terrible book, though. I did not like Hearts of Darkness. I thought it was so boring. The Joseph Conrad, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay, it's I okay. I thought it was boring. I was not into it. I love the movie, though. The, the movie's amazing. Yeah, and the documentary about the movie. I actually, as a, a quick interlude, I, I had the advantage of staying. Um, I spent a week at the Pacific Missile Range in Hawaii, mm. um, and every day at like 5 p.m., all the all the military officers go surfing, mm. and it's very it's very apocalypse now because yeah. you just see all these people like oh drills are done and then they're just going. It's like these like five miles of beautiful empty beach, and the only people surfing there are the the mm. officer or are the. Uh, Military people. Yeah. But anyway, cut to, so I'm in line, I meet with this gentleman, and we're speaking. He's like, why are you interested in this? And I, the same reasons I gave to you, you know? And I'm like, I think it would be fascinating. I would love the training. I think it would be applicable. I mean, I think that I could kind of bring a unique perspective 
whatever. And the guy says, you're a magician. Can you please show... Uh, and very friendly, he's like, if you're a magician, can you please do some magic for me? And the thing was, this was in Los Angeles Sh- Sheriff Department headquarters downtown. And they had made it very clear for the test, you can't take anything on you because oh. they don't want somebody cheating. So I don't have my phone on me. No I don't have any cards because I thought they might look like cheat sheets. The only thing I had on me was my wallet, right? Because I needed my wallet and my car keys. My wallet because I needed my driver's license to like for them to scan it. But anyway, so I'm like, I explain that to him. I don't really have anything on me. And then I think for a second and I kind of notice something and I'm like, a deputy, I just, if I come up with a trick, I don't know if it will work. Are you okay? Can you give me permission to attempt it? And he says, yes, of course. I'm like, okay, okay, cool. And what I had noticed was that as we were walking, that I spotted in his back pocket, I spotted his driver's license. And I noticed that I could pickpocket his back pocket, his driver's license. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go for it now. And so I pickpocket his, his, his driver's license. And then I, I get it into my wallet and I have a thing where basically suddenly I now have his, his driver's license is where my license is in my wallet, all unnoticed, right? And then we're sitting down at the table. And once I've done the dirty work, that's the thing in magic. So you were walking, having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. We were walking and we're sitting and then I'm sitting with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once I've done the dirty work, I'm keeping my hands up like in the air. I'm using gesturing nonstop with them. So I want his only memory of me is my hands were up there. And we go, we continue the interview for like 30 minutes. And then it was like the end of the interview. And he's like, well, it was lovely speaking with you. And then I said, "Uh, by the way, um, deputy, I just realized there's an issue with my application that might prevent me from, from going through this. And he says, what's the issue? And he said, well, I have, I have a, a problem with my driver's license. And he's like, what's the problem? And I reach into my driver's license, uh, reach into my pocket, pull out my wallet, open it up, and there's his driver's license in my wallet. And he, he just starts freaking out and like almost like a giddy schoolgirl, you know? Yeah. And then he starts running down the hallway to the place where they're going to like take my fingerprints and stuff. And like, watch out. You're going to try to take his fingerprints, but he'll steal your watch. <laughs> but what's extra funny about this is you see all the super by the books guys waiting to be interviewed by him. And like, they're wondering why their interviewer is... Running down the hall. Running around giddily proclaiming that he just got robbed. Yeah. You know, and it was like such an interesting, fun By contrast. A yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it was like kind That's of hilarious. hippie half French vampire guy, yeah. you know? It's not it's not it's not quite what they expected. Um anyway, I at some point, um yeah, they did, in the end I did the process, uh, so I did, went for the first round, and then it, like, it didn't end up panning out later Aww. on. So I, I didn't actually get the, the training. Aww. So um, uh, that, that interview actually went well, but I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure what I... There's I, something in the background check. They said that we can't accept your background check, and I have no idea why, because I've never been arrested. I've never, like... I have no, like, DUIs, no anything like that. In Interesting. Fact, in and fact, they're not allowed to tell you? I, no, they won't tell me. It's weird. Do you have a parent that's a national or anything? <laughs> no, it's weird. Well, I'll actually tell you because I was. Wait, you have, do, do you have dual citizenship? I do have French? dual citizenship. Were you born in France? I was born in New York. Okay. And I even know that um, I was supposed. Because you have a slight accent, but I, I was trying to. I was like, where is that? I don't. It's I, a little bit of yeah. It's a little bit of the French, a little bit of the New York, a little bit of like all kind of yeah, mixing yeah. together. Sure. But um, no, it was like I even actually this year. I uh, was supposed to be part of a show, 
And so I had like an FBI background check done mm. where they went stuff, and there's nothing on it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know but what happened. But the police happens. and FBI, remember, operate separately. Yeah. And what is important or interesting to the FBI might not be to the police. I so actually think the general. I think the gentleman who was my background investigator. Yeah. So I actually because I did I did the thing with the first gentleman, and he got he loved me, and then I actually had a full polygraph exam uh -huh. with like the polygraph exam, yeah. and that guy loved me. We had a great conversation, and then I think the gentleman. Um, who's the background examiner, he really didn't like me. And he's like, your hair is way too long or whatever. I'm like, ah. well, I can cut it. And he's like, well, I'll cut it if I get the process. And it's like, why didn't you cut it now? You know? Ah, and so it's like, yeah. I think I think that was the issue. Because I was like... Stay I was like, away from my daughter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got many guns. I got many guns. That's funny. Did, so have you spent a lot of time in France? I have. Yeah. I have. All my schooling prior to college was in French schools in America. Okay. And then also my parents like separated when I was like 12 and my dad oh. moved back to France. So I'd be there every, you know, winter break and okay. fall break and summer break. I've only been to the Charles de Gaulle airport. I have not Oh, you gotta get you got to get out of there. I, I mean, I've, I've been all over the world, but I have not yet experienced France. Uh, I need to do that eventually. They just shut down again. My friend was going to go and... Uh, my best friend, she had a trip planned with her family, and they just closed everything down. It's, yeah, now it's... So, I mean, you can't Delta variant is making things difficult. Yeah, I haven't seen him since COVID stopped. But, oh, but we have video chatting on WhatsApp, so... Yeah, that's good. How many languages do you speak? Um, I'm fluent in English and French, and, you know, I did, like, four years of high school Spanish. Ah. So, I... Uh, Spanish well, being the most handy, probably. Um, well, yeah, well, I guess in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. But, I mean, they're, they're Roman. I mean, French and, and Spanish are Romance languages. Yeah. So, even sometimes, like, if everybody speaks slowly, I can kind of understand the that, bulk of it. That's you know? how I feel about both French and Spanish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, well, what languages do you speak? Uh, when I was little, I spoke German, uh, Greek, English, obviously, um, <clears throat> and Italian. And then I grew up and I forgot most of it. But I went to a big travel in 2011, and I was in Greece, I was in Italy, and people would talk to me, and I got, I was there long enough that it started to come back to me. Germany, German, I have no, remem I don't remember any of it. And French, I can read pretty decent. I took Latin as well as a kid, yeah. and I could read that pretty decent. I took Hebrew, so um, I know, I still remember maybe three or four things. I can speak it better than I can read it. Sababa. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then uh, if someone is speaking French to me very slowly at about a second grade level about, I don't know, wine or something, I can kind of keep up. But Just about wine. Yeah, well, <laughs> I said it because I, I spoke with a wine person who was French and we were chatting and he's like, oh, you speak French? I was like, tiny, tiny. And, uh, and and so he's, yeah, he started speaking quite slowly and was very patient with me. And we actually had a little conversation, which I was so proud of myself. So, and I can tell the difference between a French accent and a Quebecois accent. Yeah. That's about the extent of things. It's fun. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, like they say, they, a lot of Americans go to France and they say like, they get, they say that sometimes the French people in Paris aren't the nicest of them. That's like kind of a thing they say. And they're I think just the, honest. They're honest. And I think people get upset because somebody will like go to like, a cafe, and he'll be like, "Bonjour, je peux comment?" And then, the, the, and then the French cafe attendant is like, "What did you want?" You know, yeah. it's like it's like almost like I think the Parisians are exasperated <laughs> yeah. with Americans trying to speak French with them when their English is better. So it's like just speak in English, like so. It's like also, and, conversational French is very like, oh, or just like, yeah, you know, <laughs> there's just sounds. It, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Although let's be honest, conversational Canadian sounds sounds even rougher on the ears. <laughs> That might be the French side. That's the we, French we, we, side. We wage war. But yeah, it is, it is you do. I know. <laughs> 
my uh, French teacher and Madame Broad in seventh grade is Quebecois. So ah. that's probably the only reason that I can tell the difference in the Tabernacle. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, okay, back to you. And now back to you. Okay, and now back to me. <laughs> that's fun, though, that you get to... That probably opens up gigs for you to be multilingual. Um, I think so. Mm. I think so. I mean, mm. honestly, English is such an international language uh, that it, it, sure. it, it, I don't think it changes too much. So it's magic. Much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Do you have, this is such a dumb question, I'm going to ask it anyway, and I'm sure you've been asked a million times, do you prefer sleight of hand or, or more of the conversational magic where you're building up to something or mentalist magic? Um, I wouldn't necessarily separate them. Mm. You know, I would think that conversation is part of... Like, sleight of mouth is almost as important as sleight of hand. Because, you know, sleight of hand is... It's all about, the dis- like, the distractions. Sure. And so if I'm engaging you in a conversation, that might almost be a better distraction than, like, waving my hands in the air. Yeah. Or using... Or, like, taking a wand and rotating it or whatever. Um, I do some mentalism as well. Um, I do kind of all, all of the above... Um, it's, I love mentalism. It's I, fun. It's so cool. It's fun. It's well. The interesting thing about mentalism, mentalism is the one that people are most likely to believe it actually happened. Mm-hmm. And and you actually you have to be careful sometimes because you know it's it's people. Um, at the place I was performing at Black Rabbit, they they had a, a stage show, and the stage show, they had um, there's an effect where basically people rip up a bunch of cards, and then they kind of shuffle it. Them, everybody does this individually, and then they put the two cards together at the end, and they match, and it's magical. I think you did that for somebody that on the thing I saw of you. Um, I probably would not have done that. Hmm. I thought there was something about a a card and a phone and a, anyway there's, there's phone things yes but yeah. I don't do the ri- I'm oh, talking about okay. somebody like you do this yourself you would like take basically Susan you would take cards you would rip them up yourself and you put them behind the back kind of shuffle them and then of the like the, the piece of the four pieces or the eight pieces now the two you're left with are the matching pieces uh, and anyway in the show they used to say you know like if the pieces are matching if the piece matches um, your dreams will come true and or your wish will come true and they actually, there was a woman in the audience who unfortunately had cancer. And her dream, she was wishing, like, will I get over my cancer? And she made a mistake at some moment in the process. And so her pieces didn't match. Oh, my God. And oh. then she was there. And then, like, her son came up to me because I performed some magic for, for them earlier. And she's like, oh, my God, my mom's devastated, blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of, like, I, like, did, like, almost, like, kind of, you know, like, Magic fire department, where basically I kind of like did a thing that suddenly like I, I made a reason for why her pieces didn't. Ma- I wasn't even part of that show, but like I'm like I'm like you know whatever, and then I made her like her missing piece that was she was missing. It appeared in like like her husband's shoe and whatever, and then it's like actually you have to like just like rely on being close to home. And I don't this was like a while ago. I don't remember exactly what I did, but like I salvaged mm. the situation. But it's. Yeah. But that just shows you how power. Like you know, she wasn't just making it's a trick. Like she even this silly little card thing. She had literally it was making her cry because like uh-huh. she was equating it to like her her cancer. And, you know, and I I do honestly what, the mentalism effects I do. I often do a mentalism effect where I have kind of people think about um, something they have nostalgia for, and it could be you know it could be their high school. It could be you know Paris. It could be their grandmother who they who passed away like 30 years ago and i i don't control what they choose as the nostalgia element and honestly i think like 10 percent of the times i do this effect somebody cries Mm. and it's really powerful and it's kind of 
It's but very that's what I'm talking about. When you go, for me at least, when I go to a show of magic, it's like when I go to a movie. I don't, I don't want to say, oh, these are actors on the stage saying lines that some other dude wrote and some other woman directed and somebody else is holding a light. Why would I do that? Yeah. I want to go believing that everything I see is actually happening because that's the joy of it. You know, like and, you said, it, it touches on the kids in us and the, yeah. the wonder and the magic of just being a human being on a spinning rock in the middle of a ginormous universe. You know, it's so cool to think like that. 100%. There's, um, well, in contrast to that, there's a French magician called Robert Houdin, who Houdini named himself after mm. Robert Houdin in honor of him before then writing a book called The Unmasking of Robert Houdin where he explained that Robert Houdin sucks and Houdini is the only so good magician. Rude! Yeah. <laughs> he had a quote which is basically a magician is the actor putting on playing the role of a magician. Because mm. it's like we don't actually have the magic but we're acting like it is. Um, but Robert Houdin, interestingly enough, and kind of going back to parallel conversations, he is he's known as a magician who stopped a war um, because there was an incident... And whether or not it's good that he stopped the war, that's a whole other political thing, because we're talking about colonial, like, France and, like, stuff. But there was an incident where he went, um, I forget which country it is, but in northern Africa. And uh, this country was kind of controlled, like, it was like a, a country where there was, like, a lot of, like, local villages with local leaders. And they had the, the Maribou, which was, like, kind of, like, the spiritual leaders. And... Basically, the French government at the time wasn't able to control them, and because like they just didn't want to fall under French occupation, which is very reasonable. But, um, however, what they did is they called Robert Houdin, who had just retired, to come out of retirement, and he, uh, to prove that French magic was superior to their magic, and so that they should like follow the French like orders. Again, I'm not pro that, but but what he did is he went and he asked them to choose like their strongest guy, and he said try to raise this box, and he raised it no problem. He said now I'm going to take away your strength, and then suddenly the guy couldn't raise the box, and the people were like okay we don't want to mess with French magic. Um, the box was an electromagnet, and it was attached to the floor, and it was you know I feel like it's been revealed enough that we can reveal that um, yeah. to your audience, but yeah, For sure. But kind kind of really interesting the power. The power that magic yeah, can have. Absolutely. I mean, if you think, I mean, if we imagine, you know, I don't know if King Arthur existed. I guess some some say that there was an Arthur story. You know, some say there is like a Merlin type person. Some say, you know, there are kind of like these men and women who kind of had, you know, like almost spiritual powers who have influenced the world. You know, if you absolutely. think of... Um, Morgana and Merlin and, yeah. and, uh, and Disney, of course, the... the the witchcraft is always uh, the ma the magicians tend to be evil, but there's the fairy godmothers that yeah. are on the good side, quote unquote. Or if you look at like a character like Rasputin, yeah, um, you know who yeah. had real political power, yeah. and you know it's like I wouldn't be surprised if he was using some like hypnosis or something yeah. like that. Or honestly, if we go into religion, you know, it's like I I don't know, you know, like. There's a possibility that certain kind of, you know, I don't know what Jesus was doing 2,000 years ago. Sure. You know, he could have been a magician. You know, he could have been, you know, it's, 100%. it's, it's yeah. you know, I have the abilities to turn water into wine. You know, I have like, you know, there's kind of things that, that can be done. There are, there are ways to make it look like you're walking on water, you know, yeah. like, so it's, 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 it's so, interesting. So you are not woo-woo. I'm not woo-woo. Yeah. I'm not woo-woo. I am open to woo-woo. Yeah. I haven't. I'm I have, definitely woo-woo. You're very woo-woo. I, 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 I love it. Yeah. I I think that there's great things that we have no idea about 
that things are discovered all the time. And I do think that our brain is capable of insane things that we haven't even yet discovered. I, I definitely I agree if our brains are capable of insane things. But I don't know if I agree with the... But so, we call it woo-woo because mm-hmm. we don't understand it or it seems, you know, metaphysical beyond physics or smaller than the physical realm. But but that's only because we don't know. Yeah. You know, that's the thing I'm, I'm getting at is, is who knows what's ca- what we're capable of. And who knows if somebody like Jesus or, you know, the... Uh, Lao Tzu, Tzu. yeah, that he perhaps knew things and could manipulate mind, matter, and form. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah, and to what level? We've forgotten it. To what level? Some a very convincing, you know, somebody who has good psychology skills Mm -hmm. is more likely to convince somebody in one way or a form, and you probably have extreme versions of that. There is, you know. I like to imagine there was a study that came out that was saying that, you know, like people who, who prayed, um, if there's a large amount of people praying yes. for somebody, yes. they were more likely to be healed. Even if they didn't know they were being even prayed for. Even if they didn't for. even know they were prayed for. Yeah. And then... As That's ever, like the protons that respond to another, you know, that science study. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that they're reacting to something that they're not even in the same vicinity of. Yeah. Or there's another one which was... Um, and this is pulling away, but going back to, like, if you give somebody a placebo, mm. uh, they're more likely to get healed, yeah. even if they know it's a placebo. Like, if you tell them this is just a sugar pill, they're more likely to get healed. And mm-hmm. so that means the brain is definitely doing something. Like, that act yeah. is doing... Because the sugar pill isn't doing something. So there's definitely a lot that we don't know. I mean, it would yeah. be it would be silly to say that we know everything on Earth, because we definitely don't. Whether that Whether that means that, you know, the... The person you know reading fortunes on Third Street Promenade has has any abilities? That's that's something else entirely. I'm um, going back to that documentary I was talking about, the James Randi. Um, he would go, like I said, he was a, a famous debunker, and the documentary talks about how he would go after like like there's a Israeli magician called Yuri Geller. Yes, um, the spoonbender. The spoonbender. Yeah. And how he like switched the spoons and he wasn't able to do it. My mom. Actually, she was a journalist back in the day, and my mom interviewed uh, Yuri Geller on the phone. Mm. And, and then uh, the phone melted. <laughs> the phone melted, exactly. But my, my mom, um, uh, her name's Elizabeth Solomon, and she was at the time a 5'10 young blonde girl. And Yuri Geller, who's apparently a constant flirt, um, said, you know, like, like they were about halfway through the interview, and she's like, 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 what about you? What do you look like? You know, this is Israeli accent. And my mom says, "Well, you're you're the you're the mind reader. What do I look like?" And the thing is, as magicians, we make assumptions. Based, I mean, based I assume on the fact that my mom's name is Elizabeth Solomon. You know, like he was imagining calling from New York. He was imagining dark like hair. dark hair, like short New York, like Jewish girl. You know, and he's like, "Well, I bet you're like five four with like dark curly hair." It's like my mom's like, "No, I'm five nine with like blonde straight hair." You know, and it's like, "Oh, oh, okay, okay. Well, let's go back to the interview," uh-huh. which yeah. was kind of kind of a funny thing. Um, what is your what? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. I would say what? Where do you see yourself going? Like, what's your plan? Do you have a something that you're aiming toward? Or do you just keep? I just expanding. Keep, I keep expanding. Yeah. I keep expanding. I just keep you know taking opportunities. You know, like it's honestly the last year and a half has been tricky as a magician. I've yeah. done a lot of shows on Zoom, but I absolutely hate the medium. Yeah. Um, actually, speaking of uh, mixing the two things par- parallel, about a year ago. Um, I went with a friend in a car and it was like a charity event, but like a socially distanced one where you're in the car and like they have a stage. And there was a, 
they had like a, an auction and there was a gentleman who was like a Grammy award winning piano player and he was auctioning off an hour of him coming to your house and playing piano or, and I believe that you could have that or it was an hour of him sitting with you in like a studio session and helping like, you know, like with like a young singer helping, you know, kind of like adjust yeah. them and give them tips. And that went for like $3,000 or something. And then there was a guy who was like some like 22 year old psychic who was apparently Kim Kardashian's psychic on Keeping the Kardashians. Tell me about him. And he offered, it was like a 20 minute Zoom psychic reading. So, like, even, even if you accept the psychic readings are real, which I don't really accept, not over Zoom. Like, you know, you need to be I, in a physical space. I don't think so. I, for, for me, I, I disagree. I think that any kind of uh, energetic anything will work, any conduit and electricity seems like a great one that's how your brain works it's running on electricity but you would assume that like if i if I, you hold hands you have a much stronger electric link maybe i don't know no 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 but anyway his thing went for like seventeen thousand dollars and i'm like are you kidding me that's good for the charity it was good for the charity Holy but, moly. But, but i was like you have a grammy award-winning piano player who's gonna come to your house and perform for you and your 10 guests for an hour yeah, but people love to know what they they, they I think we are so desperately trying to know ourselves. And and so if we have someone that can somehow point the finger in a direction, mm -hmm. I don't believe that anyone could possibly ever tell us anything we don't actually know deep down. Yeah. But it's there's something comforting, perhaps. And I do think that people take advantage of that, unfortunately. There's an article that came out, I believe it was in The Guardian, like a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And it was this woman who used to be like a psychic reader in, mm. in London, and she no longer does it. And she's basically explaining, and this this to me, she's she's like a cheaper like therapist. Mm. Because it's like you could go to the therapist, and you could spend whatever, 300 bucks for your one-hour session. Or you could go to the psychic reader and spend whatever, 60 bucks for your one-hour session. And she said that she was doing so many of them that most times people would come in, like somebody would be like, hi, I just wanted to... You should break up with her, you know, and it's and it's not the human condition. The human condition. Yeah, it's, I mean, hilarious. people go to and she's explained. People go to psychics for three reasons: should I change my job? Should I change my relationship? Or like somebody just passed away? Yeah. It's one out of three, and you can tell by the way person walks in. You know, like you know, you can tell by the clothes they're wearing, by the you know, like. There was a show on Netflix. I actually interviewed the hospice doctor from the show. It's um, I can't remember the name of the show now, but it's all about death and mm -hmm. surviving. Surviving Death, maybe it was called, or something okay. like that. And don't quote me on that. I, don't know. I think that's wrong. But uh, there were different psychic people in this show, and then hospice people, and it was all about what happens after you die, and can we communicate with people. And there was one woman uh, on there, and I was, I think she was in Denmark or something, and I, I watched it, and I thought, and it was all this pomp and circumstance, you know, she had people come in, and there was, like, music, and she had to be in this dark room with, like, a, you know, hooded and, like, attached to a chair, and there was, like, all this stuff. And then there was this other woman who just sort of sat there and talked, mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, man, I would believe the lady that's just sitting there talking a thousand times over all that pomp and circumstance bullshit. Well, that's the David Blaine thing I was talking about. Yeah. It's like, as calm as you are, the more impressive it yeah. can seem. Yeah, I guess that is true. You said you were re you were researching or reading about spiritualism? Yes. What What have you learned? What have you read? What have you... Well, that it was it really got its kick in the around 1857-ish, and there were sisters that uh, in New York mm -hmm. that... Uh, claimed to be able to speak with 
disincarnate souls and they made quite a name for themselves and people would come to the salon and it was all and they'd have you know the ectoplasm and all that stuff and it was all smoke and mirrors of course it wasn't real and there are various other people along the way that have also done that there's a place called lilydale in new york Mm -hmm. that i've always wanted to go to it sounds fascinating and where supposedly you know the town is filled up with witches and warlocks and and psychics who wouldn't want to go to a town like that 100 you know? so things like that i a thing that they don't cover much and i find this fascinating is a lot of like the psychic type stuff and the spiritual stuff i feel like it was kind of like a, a weird early sexual liberation mm, and they don't talk about like um like the boston medium was a a famous um psychic and like, people would, like, be sent to test whether it's real or whatever. And oftentimes, she would be fl- very flirtatious with them. Mm. And then they would do kind of... So, for example, one of the effects he said is the ectoplasm, right? Yeah. And so one of the things would be, like, she is naked. Like, now there's ectoplasm on the table. Where is it coming from? I'll let the audience get... It's just, like... Yeah. Let's just say her arousal was... Yeah, she yeah. was putting her arousal sure. on the table, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then that was the ghostly, the mysterious ghostly ectoplasm. she's ectoplasm. a squirter. So yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if she's a squirter or just how wet she would get, but, like, she would be, like, in the dark, you know, in the dark, she'd, like, yeah. put her finger in there, get yeah. some stuff, whatever, yeah. whatever, now you have, like, a ghostly, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like, white liquid ectoplasm sure. thing. There was one, there was a, um, a guy, a medium, who they used... Um, I think this is actually in that show, too, but I read about it. I have a book around here somewhere about... The whole, actually, I have the Lilydale book too, but uh, he had like plaster of Paris, and mm-hmm. they would do their thing, and then they would turn the lights back on, and there'd be little handprints and little feet yeah. prints of children and and such. I don't know. It's interesting. The most of that stuff was debunked, of course. Yeah, going going back to that same thing, and then also apparently a lot of the the like kind of spiritualist psychic mediums of that era was like kind of like a bordello as well because mm-hmm. it's like you couldn't be advertising so they'd be in like the the things as like psychic readings but you would go and basically it would be like they'd be showing up and there's like yeah. tell me what my people. penis's future is yeah exactly <laughs> um you just reminded me of have you ever heard of elizabeth kubler ross yeah do you have you heard of um i'm gonna look this up so i can get the exact information correctly well tell me what you know of elizabeth kubler ross she's the she wrote a book about death and dying yes she did yeah I can't remember if it's because she died and came back, or... So... I read all that stuff in college, so my brain is a little memory. So, Swiss-American psychiatrist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she is best known for developing the five stages of grief. That's... Okay, Which yeah, is a pretty... That. Everybody knows the five stages sure, of grief. Sure, sure. And, you know, she earned a medical degree from the University of Zurich in 57, then became a psychiatrist after blah, blah, blah. She's a professor of psychiatry at the University of Chicago. She co-founded the American Holistic Medical Association and published an influential book called On Death and Dying. Death and Dying, yeah. There's no question, I'm just reading from them, that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a marvelously bright woman. However, despite her rigorous training in the biological sciences, Kubler-Ross's thinking grew less and less constrained by empirical evidence as the years rolled by. Intrigued by near-death experiences, Mm. she came to believe in a life after death, but is it what followed that really makes the point here. She She came to believe in and teach reincarnation, communication with the dead through spirit mediums, and even that spirits could manifest themselves in human form. She even reported meeting, in the flesh, a deceased woman who had temporarily come back to life. 
But this is where it gets interesting. For Nadir, this educated, accomplished, and intelligent woman's intellectual side came when a transparent charlatan named J. Barham completely snowed her, and this despite the warnings of many around her, including her sister. Barham, a former airplane mechanic, had decided to get in on the burgeoning 1970s spiritual movement by what else? Founding his very own religion, <laughs> which he called the Church of the Facet of Divinity. Setting up shop near San Diego, Barham and his wife began to make a name for themselves in Southern California New Age circles, especially once Barham began to claim he could communicate with the dead. Even more intriguing for Kubler Ross, who became captivated by this man, was that Barham was able to conjure up the spirits of the dead and help them reassume their physical form, at which point they could give, quote, sexual healing to people still here on Earth. Barham would go into a room with his followers, turn the light off, and tape the light switch down, since darkness was necessary for the departed spirits to feel comfortable in coming back to Earth, <laughs> and he couldn't risk any accidents. <laughs> After which, if a female follower was fortunate enough, a male spirit would come to the dark room and have sex with her. That the, quote, spirit was none other than Jay Barham himself uh -huh. apparently never crossed Kubler-Ross's mind. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> she convinced her husband to buy 40 acres outside of San Diego to use as a retreat, in which Barham would oversee the spiritual healing of Kubler-Ross's patients. She became his devoted follower. So much so, that even when one suspicious follower finally turned the light on one day, only to find a disrobed J. Barham ready for coitus, Dr. Kubler-Ross still would not believe that Barham was a fake. She continued to praise his integrity, even when it became such an issue that Kubler-Ross's husband divorced her. Yeah, sex cult. Fascinating, though, right? Yeah, for sure. And that was, uh... But that's just like uh, Anne Rule not realizing that Ted Bundy, her friend, was a serial killer, even though she wrote all those yeah. crime books. yeah. Sometimes things that are right in front of your face you don't see. Exactly. Right? But this one's so fascinating. She was such an intelligent yeah. woman and was so aware and a doctor in psychology. Yeah. And just like, and you turn on the light and the guy's naked and like aroused. Like, yeah. it's like, dee dee dee, you know? Like. Well, yeah, the fact that people didn't clue into that and just in general. I feel like having sex with a ghost would feel a little different than an actual human. Yeah. But what do I know? I've never slept with a ghost. Yeah, I, not, not, neither have I. Neither have I. <laughs> I did stay in Massachusetts' most haunted ghost hotel. Oh, how was that? Um, I, no experiences. Okay. But I was I was at Concord Colonial Inn, which was um, it was Concord, uh, Massachusetts, which where the first battle of the Revolutionary War took place, and at the time it was um, the house of the the medical doctor ah. of the area, and so everybody that was dying or about to die or had sure. died was brought to this body. So there's like. X hundred of dead bodies that had died there in a very violent way within a week. So interesting, Roby. How can people find you? How can people find me? You can go on my Instagram. That's R O B Y S O B I E S K I. That's Roby Sobieski. Um, it's it's also my TikTok. You can also go on MagicRoby.com. Um, I'm also performing once or twice a week at Black Rabbit Rose, so Here you can usually Angeles. find me there in Los Angeles. Yeah. Otherwise, you can find me at a corporate event, magic event, whatever near magic you. Magic Castle? Magic Castle, you can find are me they, there. So they're open again? They are They are They are open again. Okay. Hopefully we'll be able to stay open. Yeah. So. Yeah, how does wearing masks do for... 
magic instead of pain or it's it's a pain but better to have mask and magic than no No mask no magic yeah 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 for sure thank you so much for being on the show thank you for having me thank you for covering all these random conversations i'm sorry i'm a little bit all over the place but i I think we covered some cool things that's how conversation is i that's my favorite kind so thank you for listening everybody uh be well be magical cheers stay safe out there it's a crazy world it is a crazy world bye Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.